Chapter Four of Some Articles About Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Some Articles About Mark Twain, Chapter Four Mark Twain Gossip by Will M. Clemens. No relation. Read by John Greenman. Will M. Clemens in Famous Funny Fellows, a series of bright sketches of prominent American humorists, says of Mark Twain. In 1868 Mr. Clemens formed one of a party who sailed in the steamship Quaker City for an extended excursion to Palestine and the Holy Land. He went in the capacity of a newspaper correspondent as well as for pleasure, and wrote interesting letters while abroad to the California papers. Returning to America, he gathered his letters together and rewrote them in book form, which he called Innocence Abroad or the new pilgrim's progress the work was very funny yet notwithstanding the rollicking satire and laugh-provoking character of the book the author met with the greatest difficulty in getting it published he sent his manuscript to the leading publishers of new york boston and philadelphia and they all refused it mark's literary vanity was sorely wounded and he was about determined to throw his book into the fire when a literary friend, Albert D. Richardson, now deceased, to whom he handed the manuscript, pronounced it very clever, and offered to take it with him to Hartford, Connecticut, where was located the American Publishing Company, a firm that had issued several books for Richardson. After much talk and discussion among the directors of the publishing company, the book was finally issued. Its success was extraordinary and since its publication over two hundred thousand copies of the book have been sold. The publishing company cleared seventy-five thousand dollars by the venture. In 1869 Twain tried journalism for a time in Buffalo, where he held an editorial position on a daily paper. While there he fell in love with a young lady, a sister of Dan, made famous in Innocence Abroad, but her father, a gentleman of wealth and position, looked unfavorably upon his daughter's alliance with a bohemian literary character. "'I like you,' he said to Mark, "'but what do I know of your antecedents? Who is there to answer for you, anyhow?' After reflecting a few moments, Mark thought some of his old California friends would speak a good word for him. The prospective father-in-law wrote letters of inquiry to several residents of San Francisco, to whom Clemens referred him and with one exception the letters denounced him bitterly especially deriding his capacity for becoming a good husband mark sat beside his fiancee when the letters were read aloud by the old gentleman there was a dreadful silence for a moment and then mark stammered well that's pretty rough on a fellow anyhow his betrothed came to the rescue however and overturned the mass of testimony against him by saying I'll risk you anyhow." The terrible father-in-law lived in Elmira, New York, and there Mark was married. He had told his friends in the newspaper office at Buffalo to select him a suite of rooms in a first-class boarding-house in the city, and to have a carriage at the depot to meet the bride and groom. Mark knew they would do it, and gave himself no more anxiety about it. When he reached Buffalo, he found a handsome carriage, a beautiful span of horses, and a driver in livery. 
they drove him up to a handsome house on an aristocratic street, and as the door was opened there were the parents of the bride to welcome them home. The old folks had arrived on the quiet by a special train. After Mark had gone through the house and examined its elegant finishings, he was notified officially that he had been driven by his own coachman in his own carriage to his own house. They say tears came to his wonderfully dark and piercing eyes, and that all he could say was, Well, this is a first-class swindle. Not long after his marriage Mark settled down in Hartford and invested capital in insurance companies there. His second book, Roughing It, appeared in 1871, and had almost as large a sale as its predecessor. He visited England a few months later, and arranged for the publication of his works there, in four volumes. On his return he issued his third book, in partnership with Charles Dudley Warner, which was styled The Gilded Age. This was followed by The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, a book for boys, in 1876. These books all commanded an immense sale, and several editions have been exhausted. The American Publishing Company of Hartford represented these works in this country, Chatto and Windus published them in England, and Mark's continental publisher was Tauschnitz of Leipzig. Among his other accomplishments, Clemens is a politician, and has done good service on the stump for the Republican Party. For all this he is the proud possessor of the title of Honorable. Many of the most ludicrous scenes in the works of Mark Twain are taken from life. The steamboat scene in The Adventures of Colonel Sellers was witnessed by him when a young man. His adventure with a dead man was in his father's office in Missouri. His description of the horror creeping over him as he saw a ghastly hand lying in the moonlight. How he tried to shut his eyes and tried to count, and opened them in time to see the dead man lying on the floor stiff and stark, with a ghastly wound in his side. And lastly, how he beat a terrified retreat through the window, carrying the sash with him, is vividly remembered by every reader of the Gilded Age. The whole thing occurred just as Mark recorded it. The man was killed in a street fight almost in front of Mr. Clemens' door, was taken in there while a post-mortem examination was held, and there left until the next morning. During the night Mark came in, and the scene described was enacted. A writer in the San Francisco Chronicle wrote, not many years since, as follows. There have been moments in the lives of various kind-hearted and respectable citizens of California and Nevada when, if Mark Twain were up before them as members of a vigilance committee for any mild crime, such as mule-stealing or arson, it is to be feared his shrift would have been short. What a dramatic picture the idea conjures up, to be sure. Mark, before those honest men, infuriated by his practical jokes, trying to show them what an innocent creature he was when it came to mules, or how the only policy of fire insurance he held had lapsed, how void of guile he was in any direction, and all with that inimitable drawl, that perplexed countenance, and the peculiar scraping back of the left foot, like a boy speaking his first piece at school. It is but fair to say that 
the fun that mark mixed up for citizens in those days was not altogether appreciated in the midst of it for some one touched too sharply surge bat amari aliquid and mark had another denouncer joined to the wounded throng he is keenly sensitive to sympathy or criticism and relates as one of the most harrowing experiences of his life a six hours ride across england his fellow-traveller an englishman who shortly after they started drew forth the first volume of the english edition of innocents abroad from his pocket and calmly perused it from beginning to end without a smile then he drew forth the second volume and read it as solemnly as the first mark says he thought he should die yet john bull was probably enjoying it after his own undemonstrative style in another instance the same writer says of mark twain this literary wag has performed some services which entitle him to the gratitude of his generation he has run the traditional sunday-school book-boy through his literary mangle and turned him out washed and ironed into a proper state of flatness and collapse that whining canting early dying anemic creature was the nauseating model held up to the full-blooded mischievous lads of bygone years as worthy their imitation he poured his religious hypocrisy over every honest pleasure a boy had he whined his lachrymose warnings on every playground he vexed their lives so when mark grew old enough he went gunning for him and lo wherever his soul may be the skin of the strummous young pietist is now neatly tacked up to view on the sunday-school door of to-day as a warning and the lads of to-day see no particular charm in a priggish hydropathical existence end of chapter four mark twain gossip by will m clemens and end of some articles about mark twain read by john greenman